Ben. Thank you, Freddie. Can you hear me? Amazing. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to start um, a short series we're going to run over the next four weeks. If you've been with us over the last sort of year, you'll know we've kind of been going through a process um, as a whole church, as PCC, as a core team, um, of discerning like vision, of discerning direction for us as um, the people of God in this place. And um, what I want to do over the next four weeks is kind of share that. It's kind of sequential. So if you miss one, I'd really encourage you to kind of listen because um, it's like a jigsaw. It doesn't make sense unless you put all the pieces um, together. Um, we've been on a process, and, and um, kind of what that process has looked like is preceded me even arriving. You know, we've been having conversations for years about, like, who are we? What's God called us to be as a church? Like, there's a document called a parish profile. Um, if you don't know it, it's basically what a church puts together when they're looking for a new vicar. And a lot of the thinking um, that kind of went on before me kind of was condensed into to that. Um, and kind of subsequent to that, there's been other conversations um, Last year, we, uh, we, we kind of encouraged people into groups um, to spend some time like, asking God, like, you know, some questions about like, who he's made us to be as his church in this place. And we've kind of been looking at all that and praying and trying to discern um, and get a sense of, like, what, what is it? Like, who are we? And that's the key question, I think. You know, we're not, we're not first and foremost right now looking at, like, what are we going to do? This isn't going to be like, well, next week we're going to, you know, start a, a lunch club that's doing this. That's not that. Not that that's unimportant. But I think the thing that's got to come first before that is, like, who are we? What's our identity? If you don't know who you are, how do you know where you're supposed to live out of? How are you supposed to know what you do? And the same is true for us as a church. I think I've told this story before, but um, I don't know if you know the photography company Kodak. It was a massive market leader um, in photography worldwide. You know, they, 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 it, was, it was one of those things that, like, a bit like Hoover, you know, they kind of had a, a phrase that kind of became part of, um, you know, just general vocabulary, particularly in America, and it was called, you know, having a Kodak moment. You know, there was a company that, that existed to kind of help people capture those incredible, memorable moments in life and, like, hold on to them for forevermore. And they made film cameras, they made films, they developed the films, they did the lot. And um, in Kodak's history, there was this moment where um, someone in the R&D department, one of the engineers, one day, like, developed the world's first, like, can you imagine this moment, the world's first digital camera. Like, there's never been a digital camera before, and you've literally just invented one. Before, you've been taking a photo, and you get it developed, and you're like, rats, the lens cap was on, you didn't realize. Now you can look and see it in advance, you can delete it. Incredible. And he took it to the, the board of um, Kodak and, and showed them this um, incredible, revolutionary idea. And they said, yeah, we're not interested in that. Why would we want that? They said, we're a film camera company. We don't want digital. Like, who's going to want that? That's not interesting. And, of course, what happened, and you know, history tells the story, like, um, other companies then went and developed their own kind of digital cameras and actually decided to sell them. And surprisingly enough, it took off, wouldn't we know? Um, and you know, sold millions. And Kodak were on the back foot. And they then started thinking, well, maybe we should do this. Um, but, but it was too late. And now Kodak are a kind of spent force in the world. And what went wrong? What went wrong at Kodak is they forgot who they were. They thought that they were a film camera company, and so they rejected digital. But they were never a film camera company. They were always a Kodak moment company. They were a company that existed to kind of 
help people like capture those incredible memories of life. And if they'd clung to that, they would have seen digital as a way to press further into who they were rather than a threat to kind of challenge who they were. And I think for us as a church, I want us to, to, to have that really clear sense of who are we? If we don't know who we are, how do we know whether we're doing the right things? You can just end up kind of defining yourself on what you do or what you've done rather than on who you are and whether actually you're living out of that place. I want to start by looking at um, a passage. Um, this is actually, we've been going through, for those of you who haven't been here, a series in Matthew of the last few weeks. And this like, kind of came up in the, um, in the running and we sort of held it because I really felt like God wanted us uh, to, to hear it today. Uh, Jill, if we get to the next slide, I think it will um, put the scripture on the screen for us. This is Matthew 5, um, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. If you want to follow along in your own Bibles, please do. It says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Um, I've been, you know, reading um, the Bible for many years. And I've read that story. It's a famous one. It's a famous bit of Jesus' teaching again and again and again. And like, I think sometimes when you read something like in the Bible like repeatedly and you, you kind of become so familiar with it that you think you know what it says. And so when you come to read it again, you don't really read it. You kind of read your understanding of it back into it. And I realized as I was looking at this passage um, in these last few weeks, I spotted something that actually a commentary just flagged up to me that, that was so obvious. I was like, how, do, how have I not realized this before? But for some reason, I'd not seen. And basically, the way I've always read this passage has been, you know, the church like, needs to go and be salt and light in the world. You know, we need to go and be salty. Like, we need to go and kind of be effective. We need to go and try and shine as bright as possible. We need to go out there and find ways to shine really brightly. We need to find ways to be salty. And salt was this preservative. It was something that was, you know, given to keep things from going bad, like uh, to look after things. We're, we're to go out there and try and find a way to do that. But the passage doesn't say that. It says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth. It says you are the light of the world. It doesn't say that you need to try and be light to the world. It doesn't say that you need to try to be the salt of the earth. It says that that's just simply who you are. Why? Who's this teaching to? It's the people of Jesus. You are this because you are those who are with Jesus. You are those because you are those who are in his presence, and he makes you salty. He makes you light. It's not something you can try and do. It's not something you can make manifest within yourself. It's something that you are. All you need to do in this passage you know, is put yourself in a place where that light can shine and be seen in the darkest of places. The issue is one not of kind of like trying to be something so much as posturing yourself in such a way that it can be seen. 
You know, you don't hide light under a, a basket. You know, you put it on a thing to shine, to fill the space with light. You know, I think um, church can sometimes become a bit like watching the football or watching live sport. How many people watched the Euros? Was it last year? It feels like a lot longer ago than that. The Euros, like, I'm sure if we've ever watched live sport, you get really into it, don't you? I remember, you know, you, you sit there and you watch the football and you're, like, cheering and you're celebrating your team scores. And you're like, yes, we scored. And you celebrate, you go ballistic. And at the end of the game, if you win, like, you're just celebrating. You're like, yes, we won, we won. Someone pointed something out to me the other week. It's really interesting when we do that. You know, we say, we won. We didn't win. The team won. But there's this sociological kind of phenomenon that when we're kind of close enough to something and kind of emotionally involved in something enough, it feels like we've achieved something even when actually we haven't been involved in it at all simply because we were kind of so like fixated on it. And I think there's a danger that in church it can become like that. Ministry can become something that becomes a preserve of the few that the rest of us are close enough to that we feel like we're kind of part of it, but we're not. And I think what Jesus wants to do in us as the church is he wants to release us all as an entire church into his ministry and mission in the world. Every single one of us, whether you're eight years old or 88 years old, like Jesus wants to release us all wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever our circumstances, whatever our competence or incompetence, whatever our experience or inexperience, our biblical knowledge or non-biblical knowledge, to be his hands and feet, to be salt and light to the world in which he has placed us. You are salt. You are light. You don't need to sort of like drum it up within you. Only Jesus can do that. You just need to put yourself in a place where it can be effective. And so I, I want to kind of just unpack um, a bit of what, how, how kind of we, we feel this looks like for us. And um, today what I want to share is, is something that we're calling our kind of like mission mandate. And, and the mission mandate is basically a short sort of statement that answers you know, two questions. Kind of, why are we here? And, and what's our purpose as our, the church in this place? And we've expressed it like this, and I'm going to go through it. Um, inviting and equipping people to be apprentices of Jesus, being formed by him to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. Inviting and equipping people to be apprentices of Jesus, being formed by him to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. Like, apprenticeship to Jesus is the heart of everything. Like, apprenticeship is kind of, a, a, it, it's a synonym for disciple, but we use the word apprenticeship because I think it kind of just sharpens our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. Like, disciples are one of these kind of like, sort of religious words that can take on its own kind of meaning and we just, you know, project onto it um, all sorts of understandings. You know, apprentice kind of is a bit different and, and focuses, what does that look like? What does discipleship to Jesus look like? And we've talked about this a lot over the last kind of couple of years, but to be an apprentice of Jesus, it's kind of to like put yourself in a threefold pattern, to be with Jesus, to be the kind of people who, who are in his presence, who are with him, who walk in his ways, who practice the ways of Jesus. And through being with him, we become like him. We start to think like him. We start to have the heart that he had. We start to see things in the way that he would see them, hear things in the way that he would hear them. And from that, we, we, 
we do the kind of things that Jesus would do in the world if he was us. That's the threefold pattern of apprenticeship. And it's not like a kind of progression, like you do stage one, then you move on to stage two. They kind of all happen at the same time in this kind of like circular dance. And we are those who are the apprentices of Jesus. But we want as a church, and I, I see it in our heart, to be people who, who don't just do that journey by ourselves, but invite others in, who become people who, who, who help other people to come on that journey of finding Jesus, of like coming to the fullness of life that comes from knowing him. We don't want to satisfy ourselves for becoming basically a club where it's just us and we have a nice time and that's great. No, we want other people to join the journey, other people to join the adventure. And that's why we're kind of leading this with the first word is inviting. Because this is the first one in our mandate that we want to be invitational people who invite people to encounter Jesus, who invite people to enter into this like this adventure, and it is an adventure of walking with him, walking in his ways, being with him, becoming like him, and therefore, you know, living as the kind of people who would live as Jesus would do if he were us. But there's a second word up there, and it's a word that's been like percolating around Redland circles for a while, and it's, it's the word equipping. You know, apprenticeship to Jesus isn't something we arrive at. You know, the, the very word apprentice, it's like, you know, it's a learning thing. It's a constant learning thing. You know, you only graduate from apprenticeship when you enter into becoming like a master, you know, a master carpenter or a master craftsman. But apprenticeship to Jesus is never something we graduate from. It's never something we arrive at the end of. You know, it's something we continue journeying on with. I think one of the most damaging sort of phrases that can, you know, be talked about in church is the idea of, you know, us being spiritually mature. We sort of say, oh, I'm spiritually mature. And it's like... I just don't see that in Scripture. I see maturity as something that we grow in, but not something we arrive at. It's a bit like wisdom. You know, it's not so much a state that you arrive at, it's more something that you grow in. And it's the same with apprenticeship to Jesus. We want to keep growing in it, keep growing in the ways in which he wants to transform us and change us and make us new and make us into the people he made us to be and release us to be the people he's called us to be in the world. Um, And so we want to keep growing in that. But it's so easy, isn't it? And I walk with Jesus that it kind of goes like this, and then it just kind of plateaus out. And we want to be people who help one another, help equip one another to kind of keep growing in him, to find ways of constantly opening up our lives to the King of Kings, open up our lives to the one who brings the fullness of life, open up our lives to see how much more of him there is and how much more that he can do in us and through us in this world. And so we want to be an invitational people and a people who take equipping seriously, this equipping, this work of apprenticeship to Jesus. And the second half of this is being formed by him to be a visible presence of renewal where he's placed us. It's being formed by him because we cannot do this ourselves. We kid ourselves if we think this is about what we can do. It's not. We are not the hope of the world, Jesus is. But you know what? He commissions us. He like calls us to join in, like he wants to use us. And so if we will let God work through us, if we will let Jesus shape us ever increasingly to be like him, we will be a powerful thing in the world, not because of us, but because of what he is doing in and through us. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus is on a mission to renew all things. You know, we see this most powerfully talked about in Revelation, this incredible picture of the world being made whole again. Jesus wants to renew all things. He wants to restore this world to be everything that it was intended to be. You know, he wants to heal sickness. He wants to bring peace. 
He wants to comfort souls that are anxious and at rest. He wants to bring joy where there is sorrow. He wants to bring freedom where there is captivity. He wants to, you know, make this world as it should be. You know, we've just been praying for Ukraine, for North Korea. You know, we've got COVID all around the world. You know, relationships are ever tense and broken. Like, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that needs healing. We live in a world that needs hope. We live in a world that needs restoration. And Jesus is the God who has come to bring that restoration, to bring that renewal, to renewal things to be as they were. And, you know, he he wants to do that in us. He wants to renew you, and he wants to renew me. You know, he wants, to, he, he wants to renew us such that we will in, like, have his life in us. So he wants to renew us for kind of our good, but he also wants to renew you so you might be for the blessing of others. Jesus wants to renew you so that you will become a living embodiment of the kingdom of God in this world, so that you will become a, a, like a display you know, of what Jesus is about in this world. So that when people look at the church, when they look at us, they see a glimpse. They see an example of what God can do in this world, of what God can do in our lives, of what he wants to do. You know, he wants to make us into the kind of people who love others well. In a world where, you know, love is in such short supply, where hate is so easily offered, where, you know, tolerance is at an all-time low. He wants to make us to be the kind of people who love others well, who are kind, who are patient, who are selfless, who have a heart for the poor and for those who are on the margins of society and have forgotten that whilst other people might have forgotten them, we will go to them because that is the heart of Jesus for this world. He wants to make us into the kind of people who love this creation, this beautiful world that he's made and live in it in a way that kind of like speaks of that, that speaks of kind of this is the world God's made and we're going to be the people who look after it because Jesus is giving us that heart, that fire, that passion. He wants to make us into the kind of people who are people of compassion, who care for those who are downtrodden and, and downhearted. He, we, he wants to give us a boldness such that we might be the people that declare the truth of how this world actually is to a confused world that is fumbling around in the darkness looking for answers which we have because we know Jesus. He wants to make us into people who are a presence of renewal in this world. I want to read this quote. Um, this is from um, a commentary writer called... Um, uh, uh, oh, gosh, his, his last name is Bruner, and I'm going to call him Frank, but that is not his right first name. <laughs> but let's do, you don't know, do you? He's Frank Bruner, great. Um, he says this in his commentary, and he's talking about our Matthew passage. He says this. He says, if we will be Christians... You know, if we will be the people who are with Jesus, who, who walk with him, who walk in his ways, the intent of the salt you are... Jesus will make us effective, the intent of the light you are. Thus the salt you are and the light you are hang together like the command and promise of Jesus' first call. And this is Bruno's um, translation of like, the famous passage, you might have heard it, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I love the way he translates it. He, he says, follow me and I will make you catching with people. Sorry, Jill, can we go up to the first one? I'll make you catching with people. You know, I'll make you the kind of people who are, like, others want to be around who others are drawn to, like who, who others are just kind of like captivated by and want to be because there's something in you of like light. There's something in you of salt. Why? Because Jesus is doing something in you. Like, and I think, here's the thing, in, in the Church of England in particular, for the last, I don't know, say 30 years, 
there have been countless national church and diocesan initiatives to try and make us effective. In the 90s, we had a decade of evangelism. The church over the last 30 years, despite all those initiatives, despite a decade of evangelism, has shrunk. We have put our, our focus on trying to be effective. If, let's go to this, uh, the next part of Bruna's quote, Jill, if you would. Um, the next slide, thank you. He says this, he says, if we follow him, he makes us catching. Being catching is his promise, and so his main responsibility. Our responsibility is only to stay as close as possible to the really big fishermen. His responsibility is to make us salty, catching and interesting, or in theological language, to make us missionary, evangelistic, and relevant. What he's saying here is he's saying that being salt, being light, becoming saltier, becoming brighter is not something we can do. It's only something God can do in us. And so our posture is to run close to him, to stay with him, to walk in his ways, to, to, to be with Jesus. He is the one. It's his responsibility to make us effective. It's his responsibility to make us salty. It's his responsibility to make us catching. But so often I think we've got it the other way around. We focused on trying to be effective and come up with great plans to kind of like be attractive in the world. And we've kind of neglected running close to Jesus. And what Bruno is saying here is he's saying our responsibility is to run close with Jesus. And I would add a second thing to what he says in line with Matthew 5. I think we've got two responsibilities. I think we've got a responsibility to run close to Jesus. And I think we've got a responsibility to posture ourselves in a position in the world that enables us to shine into the darkest places. You know, it doesn't matter what God's doing in you. If you just, you know, sat in a cupboard, you're not going to, you know, bring light to the world around you. I think we've got a responsibility to run close to him and to place ourselves in such a place that that light can shine bright. And um, if we go on to the next slide, I think it's the next slide, but the way we express this is this. We want to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. Like We want to be those who are allowing Jesus to transform us such we are becoming that light, that salt, that hope. Um, but we want to be a visible presence of renewal. Like This is about, you know, we've got to be visible, right? Like, the light can't be hidden. It's got to be seen. And so... And, and where does that look? Well, the location for that is where he has placed us. We mean that in kind of two senses. The first is this. Jesus has placed us as a church here. We don't meet in a school where we could kind of just be like, ah, well, let's meet somewhere else next week. You know, we meet here. He's placed us in Redland. Like, this place has a significance for us as his people. And we want to be a church that is visible in this local area, that people can see what we're about. They can see the life of Jesus in us. We want to, you know, posture our life, posture our activity, posture our buildings in such a way that people can see what we're about, that people can see us, that they can experience us, that they can get close to us, such that we can allow the light that Jesus is bringing in us to shine out in that place. And so we have a, a local, you know, here calling. But I think there's a second thing that we've sensed as we've kind of been looking at things. This, this is in the parish profile. It rang really true through the discernment process. We're not just a church for Redland. Like, we're a church that comes from all over. Like, in fact, most people don't live in the parish at all. In fact, most people don't even live in the local area of Redland. You know, we live in Henleys, Bishopston, Westbury Park, um, Clifton, Easton, Long Ashton, you know, Clevedon, all over. And, and Jesus 
wants us to be a presence of renewal in that place, in the street where you live, in the home you're part of as you parent your children, in the friendship group you're a part of, you know, in, in, at the university course you attend, at your place of work. Jesus wants to transform you to be a presence of renewal in that place. That is as significant as the local presence of visibility that he wants us to be here. He wants us to be people who bright, shine bright in the world, where he's placed us. You know, and I don't know where he's placed you, but you'll be in a friendship network. You might be in a place of work. You might be in a school. You might be um, you know, in, in, in uh, a street where you kind of have neighbors who you're in relation with. Like Jesus has placed you there. And he's not placed you there to merely kind of give a bit of money and pray a bit so that some people can do some ministry in this building. He's placed you there because he wants to use you there. That's the hope of the world. It's the local church, all of us, regardless of age. You don't retire in ministry. You just merely transition to new seasons. You don't even kind of like start ministry in some senses. You're, you're baptized into it. Your baptism is your ordination. Like he wants to commission us all, every single one of us, to be a presence of renewal where we are, where we are. And, you know, we can begin that now because you are salt, church. You are light. And you might be sat here today and you might be thinking, I don't really feel like a particularly impressive Christian. Maybe you're sat here today and you think, well, you know, I might be a light, but you feel a bit more like a, a glowing ember that's sort of dying away, that's been taken away from the fire, or a candle wick that's about to go out. You know what? You are light. Even if you are but a flickering flame, you are light. If you put the most tiny, tiny, flickering, dying flame in a dark place, it illuminates. It illuminates. You are light. It doesn't matter whether you're flickering or dimming. You are light. And Jesus wants to, to grow that light within you as you kind of come closer to him. He will you know, cause us to burn brighter and brighter, but you are light right now. You are placed by him wherever you are right now, and he wants to use you in that place right now. You know, that's a, that, it's, it's as simple as just investing in those people who kind of we're in relationship with. You know, it's investing in those people who we live amongst, spending time with them, you know, acts of love, investing in that relationship, getting kind of proximate enough to people that they can see the light that is in us. You know, some of us, like where we are placed is not so much geographic as it is kind of like there's a passion in our hearts. Maybe we have a passion for, you know, some of the poorest areas of the city. You know, I know a number of us have a real passion in our heart for Easton. Go and be a light in Easton. Go and shine bright in Easton, whether you're just doing governance at the school or whether you're kind of like working one-on-one -on -one in a kind of mentorship relationship with a child there. You are light. I think we have entered into a kind of celebrity phase of life where the only things that kind of seem significant are that which hit the news or are glamorous or reportable. And so it kind of leaves us with this impression that anything that isn't inherently newsworthy isn't effective or isn't good enough. Like... But the most powerful ministry is not the ministry that will hit the news. 
It's not the ministry that you're on a rotor for or that you've got a church title for. It's the ministry that happens in the hidden places where you are simply light in the places where you are placed. It's the simple act of love. It's the simple act of kindness. It's the time where you say, I'm going to pray for you. It's the time where you, 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 know, you, you reach out to that person who seems alone or that person who is you know, um, amongst the poorest in society. It's that time where you, you, you care about the global issues rather than rejecting them. No one might see it. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't have power. It might not be seen by others, but that does not mean that it does not change this world. That does not mean that you are not an embodiment of the gospel in the place where you are placed. I want to end with this. I love this. this great story in the book of Acts. Peter and John, two, you know, these incredible disciples. And um, they go and uh, they, they basically pray for someone to be healed, and they're healed, and it causes a bit of a fuss. And... Um, and, and they're kind of brought, you know, into court, essentially. And, and, and they give this, like, really impassioned speech to the rulers of the day. And there's this little line in the scriptures, and it says this. It says, you know, basically they were astounded at Peter and John and their boldness. And it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they saw that they were ordinary, unschooled men, just like us, we're, you know, we're not necessarily anything impressive, We've not necessarily got it sorted or nailed, but when they saw that they were ordinary, unschooled men, it says they took note that they had been with Jesus. That's the difference. Those who will run close to him and place themselves in the world in a place where the light of Jesus can shine bright are those who change the world. Not because we're effective, but because he will be effective in and through us. That's who we are as a church. That's who we want to become as a church. Um, And that's kind of what we want to kind of orientate our life around the pursuit of. I want to pray. Should we stand? Okay, what I want to do is I I just want to pray and I want to commission us. Um, Your ordination... Like ordination, what a funny thing. You know, you go to the cathedral as a vicar and you have this like, big service. And I think biblically, in many ways, your ordination is your baptism. That's your commission for ministry. You don't need an additional qualification. And what I want to do is I just want to pray for all of us and commission every single one of us. It doesn't matter whether you're old or young. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if you became a Christian yesterday or 50 years ago, it's irrelevant. I want to commission us all into this because we are all the people of Jesus. We are salt, we are light. Jesus, I pray that you would fill us now as your church in this place. Fill us that we might be the people that you have made us to be. Lord, I pray that you would just spill out of us, every single one of us, wherever we are, the situations we are in, the places we are placed in, the places you call us to, Lord, I pray that you would help us to just burn bright in that place. Lord, give us a vision. Show us how you want to use us. Show us the people you want us to invest in. I just wonder if we just give a minute now. Let's just listen to God. Maybe he just wants to bring maybe an area of the city, maybe a a friend, a person who you already know, but he just wants to bring them to mind for where he wants you to just begin.
Yeah, Jesus, I pray you commission us to be a visible presence of renewal in the places where you have placed us in this world. Lord, help us to burn bright, to love well, and to embody you such that others might be invited to join the journey. Give us confidence. Give us power. And be with us, I pray. Amen. Amen. And that person who came to mind, that situation that came to mind, I think Jesus is saying the next step is simply get close to it. You know, be proximate to it. That might just be like hanging out more regularly for coffee with a friend. Or as an area of the city or the world, you know, visiting it more often. Get proximate to it because you are light. Whether you see it or not, you are light. You will be shining. And as you are light, keep running close with him because he will cause you to shine brighter. Amen.